Chapter Twenty Six, Part Three of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth, Chapter Twenty Six, Part Three. Clarence, whilst he made all these comparisons, became every day more wisely and more fondly attached to Belinda, and at length he became desirous to change the nature of his connection with Virginia, and to appear to her only in the light of a friend or a benefactor. He thought of giving her a suitable fortune, and of leaving her under the care of Mrs. Ormond, till some method of establishing her in the world should occur. Unfortunately, just at the time when Mr. Harvey formed this plan, and before it was communicated to Mrs. Ormond, difficulties arose which prevented him from putting it into execution. Whilst he had been engaged in the gay world at Lady Delacour's, his pupil had necessarily been left much to the management of Mrs. Ormond. This lady, with the best possible intentions, had not that reach of mind and variety of resource necessary to direct the exquisite sensibility and ardent imagination of virginia the solitude in which she lived added to the difficulty of the task without companions to interest her social affections without real objects to occupy her senses and understanding virginia's mind was either perfectly indolent or exalted by romantic views and visionary ideas of happiness as she had never seen anything of society all her notions were drawn from books the severe restrictions which her grandmother had early laid upon the choice of these seemed to have awakened her curiosity and to have increased her appetite for books it was insatiable reading indeed was now almost her only pleasure for Mrs. Ormond's conversation was seldom entertaining, and Virginia had no longer those occupations which filled a portion of her day at the cottage. Mr. Harvey had cautioned Mrs. Ormond against putting common novels into her hands, but he made no objection to romances. These, he thought, breathed a spirit favourable to female virtue, exalted the respect for chastity, and inspired enthusiastic admiration of honour generosity truth and all the noble qualities which dignify human nature virginia devoured these romances with the greatest eagerness and mrs ormond who found her a prey to ennui when her fancy was not amused indulged her taste yet she strongly suspected that they contributed to increase her passion for the only man who could in her imagination represent a hero one night virginia found in mrs ormond's room a volume of st pierre's paul and virginia she knew that her own name had been taken from this romance mr harvey had her picture painted in this character and these circumstances strongly excited her curiosity to read the book mrs ormond could not refuse to let her have it for though it was not an ancient romance it did not exactly come under the description of a common novel and mr harvey was not at hand to give his advice virginia sat down instantly to her volume 
and never stirred from the spot till she had nearly finished it. "'What is it that strikes your fancy so much? What are you considering so deeply, my love?' said Mrs. Ormond, observing that she seemed lost in thought. "'Let us see, my dear,' continued she, offering to take the book which hung from her hand. Virginia started from her reverie, but held the volume fast. "'Will not you let me read along with you?' said Mrs. Ormond. "'Won't you let me share your pleasure?' "'It was not pleasure that I felt, I believe,' said Virginia. "'I would rather you should not see just that particular part that I was reading. And yet, if you desire it,' added she, resigning the book reluctantly. "'What can make you so much afraid of me, my sweet girl?' "'I am not afraid of you, but of myself.' said Virginia, sighing. Mrs. Ormond read the following passage. She thought of Paul's friendship more pure than the waters of the fountain, stronger than the united palms, and sweeter than the perfume of flowers, and these images in night and in solitude gave double force to the passion which she nourished in her heart. She suddenly left the dangerous shades and went to her mother, to seek protection against herself. She wished to reveal her distress to her. She pressed her hands, and the name of Paul was on her lips, but the oppression of her heart took away all utterance, and, laying her head upon her mother's bosom, she only wept. "'And am I not a mother to you, my beloved Virginia?' said Mrs. Ormond though i cannot express my affection in such charming language as this yet believe me no mother was ever fonder of a child virginia threw her arms round mrs ormond and laid her head upon her friend's bosom as if she wished to realize the illusion and to be the virginia of whom she had been reading i know all you think and all you feel i know whispered mrs ormond the name that is on your lips no indeed you do not you cannot cried virginia suddenly raising her head and looking up in mrs ormond's face with surprise and timidity how could you possibly know all my thoughts and feelings i never told them to you for indeed i have only confused ideas floating in my imagination from the books i have been reading I do not distinctly know my own feelings. This is all very natural, and a proof of your perfect innocence and simplicity, my child. But why did the passage you were reading just now strike you so much? I was only considering, said Virginia, whether it was the description of love. And uh, your heart told you that it was? I don't know, said she, sighing. But of this I am certain, that I had not the name which you were thinking of upon my lips. Ah, thought Mrs. Ormond, she has not forgotten how I checked her sensibility some time ago. Poor girl, she has become afraid of me, and I have taught her to dissemble, but she betrays herself every moment. My dear, said Mrs. Ormond, you need not fear me. I cannot blame you. In your situation it is impossible that you could help loving Mr. Harvey. Is it? Yes, quite impossible. So do not blame yourself for it. 
no i do not blame myself for that i only blame myself for not loving him enough as i told you once before yes my dear and the oftener you tell me so the more i am convinced of your affection it is one of the strongest symptoms of love that we are unconscious of its extent we fancy that we can never do too much for the beloved object that is exactly what i feel about mr harvey that we can never love him enough ah that is precisely what i feel for mr harvey and what you ought i mean what it is natural you should feel and what he will himself i hope indeed i dare say sometimes or other wish and be glad that you should feel sometime or other does not he wish it now i he my dear what a question is that and how shall i answer it we must judge of what he feels by what he expresses when he expresses love for you it will then be time to show yours for him he has always expressed love for me i think said virginia always till lately continued she but lately he has been away so much and when he comes home he does not look so well pleased so that i was afraid he was angry with me and that he thought me ungrateful oh my love do not torment yourself with these vain fears and yet i know that you cannot help it since you are so kind so very kind to me said virginia i will tell you all my fears and doubts but it is late there the clock struck one i will not keep you up i am not at all sleepy said the indulgent mrs ormond nor i said virginia now then said mrs ormond for these doubts and fears i was afraid that perhaps mr hervey would be angry if he knew that i thought of anything in the world but him of what else do you think of nothing else from morning till night that i can see ah then you do not see into my mind in the daytime i often think of those heroes those charming heroes that i read of in the books you have given me to be sure you do and is not that wrong would not mr harvey be displeased if he knew it why should he because they are not quite like him i love some of them better than i do him and he might think that ungrateful how naturally love inspires the idea of jealousy thought mrs ormond my dear said she you carry your ideas of delicacy and gratitude to an extreme but it is very natural you should however you need not be afraid mr harvey cannot be jealous of those charming heroes that never existed though they are not quite like him i am very glad that he would not think me ungrateful but if he knew that i dream of them sometimes he would think you dreamt as all people do of what they think of in the daytime and he would not be angry i am very glad of it but i once saw a picture i know you did well said mrs ormond and your grandmother was frightened because it was the picture of a man eh if she was not your grandmother i should say that she was a simpleton i assure you mr harvey is not like her if that is what you mean to ask he would not be angry at your having seen fifty pictures i am glad of it 
but i see it very often in my dreams well if you had seen more pictures you would not see this so often it was the first you ever saw and very naturally you remember it mr harvey would not be angry at that said mrs ormond laughing but sometimes in my dreams it speaks to me and what does it say the same sort of things that those heroes i read of say to their mistresses and do you never in your dreams hear mr harvey say these sort of things no and do you never see mr harvey in these dreams sometimes but he does not speak to me he does not look at me with the same sort of tenderness and he does not throw himself at my feet no because he has never done all this in reality no and i wonder how i come to dream of such things so do i but you have read and thought of them it is plain now go to sleep there's my good girl that is the best thing you can do at present go to sleep it was not long after this conversation that sir philip badley and mr rochefort scaled the garden wall to obtain a sight of clarence harvey's mistress virginia was astonished terrified and disgusted by their appearance they seemed to her a species of animals for which she had no name and of which she had no prototype in her imagination that they were men she saw but they were clearly not clarence harvey's they bore still less resemblance to the courteous knights of chivalry their language was so different from any of the books she had read and any of the conversations she had heard that they were scarcely intelligible after they had forced themselves into her presence they did not scruple to address her in the most unceremonious manner amongst other rude things they said damn my pretty dear you cannot love the man that keeps you prisoner in this manner hey damn me you'd better come and live with one of us you can't love this tyrant of a fellow he's not a tyrant i do love him as much as i detest you cried virginia shrinking from him with looks of horror damn me good actress put her on the stage when he's tired of her so you won't come with us good-bye till we see you again you're right my girl to be upon your good behavior maybe you may get him to marry you child virginia upon hearing this speech turned from the man who insulted her with a degree of haughty indignation of which her gentle nature had never before appeared capable mrs ormond hoped that after the alarm was over the circumstance would pass away from her pupil's mind but on the contrary it left the most forcible impression virginia became silent and melancholy and whole hours were spent in reverie mrs ormond imagined that notwithstanding virginia's entire ignorance of the world she had acquired from books sufficient knowledge to be alarmed at the idea of being taken for clarence hervey's mistress she touched upon this subject with much delicacy and the answers that she received confirmed her opinion virginia had been inspired by romances with the most exalted notions of female delicacy and honour but from her perfect ignorance these were rather vague ideas than principles of conduct 
we shall see mr harway to-morrow he has written me word that he will come from town and spend the day with us i shall be ashamed to see him after what has passed said virginia you have no cause for shame my dear mr harway will try to discover the persons who insulted you and he will punish them they will never return here you need not fear that he is willing and able to protect you yes of that i am sure but what did that strange man mean when he said what my dear that perhaps mr harvey would marry me virginia pronounced these words with difficulty mrs ormond was silent for she was much embarrassed virginia having conquered her first difficulty seemed resolute to obtain an answer you do not speak to me will you not tell me dear mrs ormond said she hanging upon her fondly what did he mean what he said i suppose but he said that if i behaved well i might get mr harvey to marry me what did he mean by that said virginia in an accent of offended pride he spoke very rudely and improperly but it is not worth while to think of what he said or what he meant but dear mrs ormond do not go away from me now i never so much wished to speak to you in my whole life and you turn away from me well my love well what would you say tell me one thing only one thing and you will set my heart at ease does mr harvey wished me to be his wife i cannot tell you that my dearest virginia time will show us perhaps his heart has not yet decided i wish it would decide said virginia sighing deeply and i wish that strange man had not told me anything about the matter it has made me very unhappy she covered her eyes with her hand but the tears trickled between her fingers and rolled fast down her arm mrs ormond quite overcome by the sight of her distress was no longer able to keep the secrets which he had been entrusted by clarence harvey and after all thought she virginia will hear it from himself soon i shall only spare her some unnecessary pain it is cruel to see her thus and to keep her in suspense besides her weakness might be her ruin in his opinion if it were to extinguish all her energy and deprive her of the very power of pleasing how wan she looks and how heavy are those sleepless eyes she is not indeed in a condition to meet him when he comes to us to-morrow if she had some hopes she would revive and appear with her natural ease and grace my sweet child said mrs ormond i cannot bear to see you so melancholy consider mr harvey will be with us to-morrow and it will give him a great deal of pain to see you so will it then i will try to be very gay mrs ormond was so delighted to see virginia smile that she could not forbear adding the strange man was not wrong in everything he said you will one of these days be mr harvey's wife that i am sure said virginia bursting again into tears that i am sure i do not wish unless he does 
he does he does my dear do not let this delicacy of yours which has been wound up too high make you miserable he thought of you he loved you long and long ago he is very good too good said virginia sobbing nay what is more for i can keep nothing from you he has been educating you all this time on purpose for his wife and he only waits till your education is finished and till he is sure that you feel no repugnance for him i should be very ungrateful if i felt any repugnance for him said virginia i feel none oh that you need not assure me said mrs ormond but i do not wish to marry him i do not wish to marry you are a modest girl to say so and this modesty will make you ten times more amiable especially in mr hervey's eyes heaven forbid that i should lessen it the next morning virginia who always slept in the same room with mrs ormond wakened her by crying out in her sleep with a voice of terror oh save him save mr hervey mr hervey forgive me forgive me mr ormond drew back the curtain and saw virginia lying fast asleep her beautiful face convulsed with agony he's dead mr hervey cried she in a voice of exquisite distress then starting up and stretching out her arms she uttered a piercing cry and awoke my love you have been dreaming frightfully said mrs ormond is it all a dream cried virginia looking round fearfully all a dream my dear said mrs ormond taking her hand i am very very glad of it let me breathe it was indeed a frightful dream your hand still trembles said mrs ormond let me put back this hair from your poor face and you will grow cool and forget this foolish dream no i must tell it you i ought to tell it you but it was all so confused i can recollect only some parts of it first i remember that i thought i was not myself but the virginia that we were reading of the other night and i was somewhere in the isle of france i thought the place was something like the forest where my grandmother's cottage used to be only there were high mountains and rocks and cocoa trees and plantains such as you saw in the prints of that book yes only beautiful beautiful beyond description and it was moonlight brighter and clearer than any moonlight i ever before had seen and the air was fresh yet perfumed and i was seated under the shade of a plane tree beside virginia's fountain just as you are in your picture yes but paul was seated beside me paul said mrs ormond smiling that is mr harvey no not mr harvey's face though it spoke with his voice this is what i thought that i must tell you it was another figure it seemed a real living person it knelt at my feet and spoke to me so kindly so tenderly and just as it was going to kiss my hand mr hervey appeared and i started terribly for i was afraid he would be displeased 
and that he would think me ungrateful and he was displeased and he called me ungrateful virginia and frowned and then i gave him my hand and then everything changed i do not know how suddenly and i was in a place like the great print of the cathedral which mr harvey showed me and there were crowds of people i was almost stifled you pulled me on as i remember and mr morton was there standing upon some steps by what you called the altar and then we knelt down before him and mr harvey was putting a ring on my finger but there came suddenly from the crowd that strange man who was here the other day and he dragged me along with him i don't know how or where swiftly down precipices whilst i struggled and at last fell then all changed again and i was in a magnificent field covered with cloth of gold and there were beautiful ladies seated under canopies and i thought it was a tournament such as i have read of only more splendid and two knights clad in complete armour and mounted on fiery steeds were engaged in single combat and they fought furiously and i thought they were fighting for me one of the knights wore black plumes in his helmet the other white and as he was passing by me the visor of the knight of the white plumes was raised and i saw it was clarence harvey said mrs ormond no still the same figure that knelt to me and i wished him to be victorious and he was victorious and he unhorsed his adversary and stood over him with his drawn sword and then i saw that the knight in the black plumes was mr harvey and i ran to save him but i could not i saw him weltering in his blood and i heard him say perfidious ungrateful virginia you are the cause of my death and i screamed i believe and that awakened me well it is only a dream my love said mrs ormond mr harvey is safe get up and dress yourself and you will soon see him but was it not wrong and ungrateful to wish that the knight in the white plumes should be victorious your poor little head is full of nothing but these romances and love for mr harvey it is your love for him that makes you fear that he will be jealous but he is not so simple as you are he will forgive you for wishing that the knight in the white plumes should be victorious especially as you did not know that the other knight was mr harvey come my love dress yourself and think no more of these foolish dreams and all will go well end of part three of chapter twenty six read by lars rolander